Hi, I'm Dean Bennett, co-host of the Brain Yapping podcast. So, back in 2019, when the first series ended, uh, we had all sorts of fun and silly plans for series two. Myself and Rachel, and then 2020 happened, and the pandemic, and the lockdown. Basically, both of us ended up having the proverbial crap kicked out of us in various ways with regards to our mental health. But we're back now, and we're ready to talk about it. Combining my decades' worth of brain-based knowledge with Rachel's grim experience of dealing with mental health matters, we're going to explore the ins and outs and nuts and bolts of mental health with regards to the pandemic and beyond, and see if we can figure out what's really going on in our heads when our minds get all wobbly. Welcome to Brain Yapping Battle Damaged. Ah, hey Rachel. Hey Dean, how's it going? Oh, well, it's, uh, a few things have happened since we last did this. Uh, it's uh, it's it's yeah. been a ride, hasn't it? Yeah, um, yeah. It's been what two years now. Well, do you bit? know? I was looking through my files the other day, and it was two years since we rolled out the first season of brain yapping and then actually it was around this time last year we got together to start to do the next one that's right and then, yes. um, well then everything just happened didn't it <laughs> yeah. so i mean a part of it was my fault and i kept agreeing to write books which which is technically my job but also <laughs> i should have a better sense of um time and allowance so that well i can't do it now i've committed to write a book in five weeks which actually happened and so yeah okay we'll, we'll just do it we'll just do it when we both got a bit more free time and, and then, then this yeah. little thing called COVID happened. Yeah, so, yeah, it did. It did. Well, it is. You remember that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and now that, and now you and I, instead of holding up in the uh, in the shed, sorry, the yeah, cabin. Yeah, crack on! I've surrendered really to that. Um, um, yeah. are, are sat in our respective homes, united only by technology. Um, yeah, yeah. It's... Which, which you know, has has no has been no mean feat, as as Dean will tell listeners of the of uh, the podcast here. Yes, I, I ended up nearly throwing my laptop out the window the other yeah. day trying to get this set up. So. Yeah. You said you were going to throw it and the microphone you got into the sea, which I really love because you don't live near the sea. So you've got to make a special no. trip to I would, throw I it would into the sea. willfully go to the sea. And would it be classed as essential travel? Maybe, because I was that pissed <laughs> yes, off. Given what you were saying, I, I'm not, well, I wouldn't rule it out completely that this is... Excuse me, officer, but I think you'll find that, oh, yeah, I've been there. Let's uh, <laughs> Yes, sorry. <laughs> Carry on, love. Carry on. <laughs> I'm just really irritated at technology. Oh, I understand. On your way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think that might have been, you know, extenuating circumstances. So you should, you might have got away with that. But yeah. uh, obviously, uh, things were resolved insofar as they can be in uh, our modern world. Um, yeah. So we have decided to take a different approach for this, uh, for this series. Um, it's going to be a bit deeper, a bit darker, a bit more um, serious. And I'll say content warning from the off. We'll probably discuss some sensitive subjects because that's kind of the point of doing this. Mm. We did decide that given everything that happened over the last year, um, it would uh, it would just seem futile doing the same format as before, given everything that's happened and every challenge and issue that people are facing as a result of these world-changing events yeah you know talking about funny dreams or whatever just yeah. doesn't really cut the cheese anymore does it yeah it's like it, 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 I, I was really worried they would become like the audio equivalent of those live laugh love posters or like you no know, you know why not go outside and have a stroll in the sunshine if you feel down it's why don't you fuck off That's yeah well, my just... general response to those things these days have you tried yoga mm -hmm. <laughs> have you tried shutting the fuck up <laughs> do i look flexible to you um which so, is obviously yeah. an audio medium that doesn't really work. But trust me, I do not look flexible. I look like a cannonball has gained sentience somehow. 
Uh, my friend Lowry, our favourite um, expression for men that certainly don't look very flexible, is suggesting that they might have a Russian physique. <laughs> oh, that's nice. That's sort, sort of, of sort of barrelly. Yeah, that sounds very diplomatic. I like that. <laughs> I, I think um, I've, I've called guys like that. Um, I know some guys who are quite short and barrelly, and I call them Vikingesque. Is my uh, yes. Oh, that's yeah. that's very diplomatic. Actually, well, it was before the series Vikings came out, and it was basically nothing but was it. Bronze gods. Oh <laughs> yes, around. the hunky men. Yeah, oh, you've ruined that. Historical accuracy. Um, but yeah, so like as Dean says, this this series is going to be a little bit more hard hitting. Yeah. Um, probably fewer lulls. Uh, but I, yeah. I hope that we continue to make the subjects that we're talking about engaging and accessible. And yeah. the point of us having a slightly new format instead of it being me asking Dean questions specifically, it's going to be a little bit more back and forth, mm. uh, largely because obviously everybody has mental health and everybody mm. experiences challenges to their mental health in varying ways. And Dean and I both have our own experiences. And obviously Dean has the, the secret insider brain knowledge. Well, that so. tends to be the thing I get uh, called up for, yes. Um, um, this is nice for me because I don't know, people ask me to be on their podcast or show or something and say, can you just... Uh, We'll cut to you for two minutes. Explain brains. Okay, um, and thank you. We'll, we will never speak to you again. <laughs> so, yeah, and you're like, yeah. cool. I feel like I need more than two minutes, but I'll do my best. It has, that almost has literally happened. I mean, my, my favourite story of that is uh, I did a talk in Amsterdam back when that was a possibility. <laughs> now, less, now less likely due to both Brexit and COVID. So, um, well, yeah. Uh, but, yeah, so like I did 90 minutes of talk, which is, you know, a lot. And I sort of had tip, I, a minute left. I like, a minute left my allotted time. Is there one quick question before I go? And the guy put his hand up and said, is free will real? Oh, that is That is not a one-minute question. Eh? Clearly, that's not a bullet oh, point. Yeah. That, is, that is like 2,000 years of philosophical thought and counting. You know what that's the equivalent of? That is like at the end of class and somebody puts their hand up, like the bell's rung and somebody's put their hand up and gone, is there any homework? And everyone's like, oh, for God's sake. <laughs> yeah. Like the adult could be like any other business. No, actually, I have 16 bullet points I want yeah. to make before we all leave on this Friday afternoon. Yeah. And that's why no one comes to your leaving do. Peter Jobsworth in the corner, <laughs> rolling his sleeves up with his memo pad. Yeah. Yeah, this exactly. is my social life. This is what I've got. <laughs> this is this is all I have. Yeah. 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 So the reason for this is that obviously we're in the middle of a pandemic. It's been going on for the best part of a year now, and it looks likely to continue for at least that long. And everyone's uh, gone through it with the pandemic. Uh, you and I have had shit kicked out of us, particularly severely. So we mm. thought we'd offer our insight there. I mean, uh, my own story. Obviously, I'm Mr. Brain Guy, as we said. Oh, sorry, Dr. Brain Guy, of course. Got to, <laughs> got to appreciate That's the Brain Guy, thank you. <laughs> I didn't go through all of those years of school just to be called Dr. Brain Guy. <laughs> professor Brain Guy, thank you. I actually almost got an honorary professorship, but um, I got rejected at the last minute because the head of the school said, I don't understand why he deserves this. Said, oh, fair enough. Oh, uh, wow. <laughs> Thanks. He doesn't seem to meet the criteria. Oh, just because I'm not a researcher and don't teach anyone. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> um but yeah, so like I was, COVID started okay for me because I was uh, I'm, I work from home anyway. I've been doing it for two years. Uh, mm. I was all set up. The school was on the corner. It was going to be fine. And then um, uh, father contracted COVID back last March and April. He died and uh, fifty eight years old, no prior conditions, and I've had to endure the grief and the trauma and uh, of all that uh, alone. And it's been hell. <laughs> and then a few months later, my grandmother died too, and the same thing happened again. And 
yeah, it's been harrowing and I've gone through a lot and I feel like I have a, if if there are silver linings and such occurrences, I feel like I've got a bit more of an insight into what people go through and they're struggling mentally now. Hmm. And of course, that happened for you largely back at the beginning of the pandemic. So that was when everything was just like shock and new and that, and yeah. there hadn't been any kind of like collective easing into the new way of doing things. So no. No, it was it was really quite I mean there are grief's never fun and it's always gonna be a challenge and always gonna be a struggle, but there are easier ways to do it than what I went through, which is like in complete isolation whilst mm. caring for two small children and occasionally getting you to do my shopping for me and then berating you for the table crisps you got me, which <laughs> which is it's a fond memory. I've always I mean, mind. To to be honest, Dean, if you say to me, four bags of crisp, any flavour, mm. like really statistically, given the variety of flavours there are out there, I was going to fuck it up somehow. Well, of course, <laughs> but I know that, but I'm normally quite, uh, let's say, welcoming all crisp flavours, but you turn up with ready salted, like, what are you, a Puritan? <laughs> <laughs> you just can't go wrong with ready salted, though. Yeah, I mean, like they're a... just like the foundation of crisps. Yeah, it's like saying, get me a snack, and someone comes back with a piece of just dry bread. <laughs> what the hell, man? <laughs> but you have, you were, these crisps were designed for your family, right? You and your wife and your two kids. I mean, there are a lot of variables. I never a said lot that. Of variables. <laughs> I never said any of that. These are all mine. Just four family sized bags of crisps. When is I going to go shopping me? again? <laughs> Well, okay. I mean, it's it's a teachable moment. I mean, we we, we have actually had this conversation with a few of our yeah. friends, haven't we? And, and yeah. I have been absolutely lambasted for it. So I'm not angry about it, but I do find it entertaining if that helps. <laughs> it's like I'm, I'm genuinely enjoy the, the the pointlessness of the debate. Oh, the the fun memories of COVID times. Yeah, but this this was entertainment as far as I was concerned. So, yeah. yeah so basically, this is what we're going to talk about in our first episode today. Um, obviously, there are untold uh, facets of mental health during a pandemic but I mm. think we're going to look today at the idea of collective trauma mm. and the idea that this thing has happened to everybody in the world mm. you know, typically really? when you talk yeah. about collective traumas you're thinking about like small scale communities or families or something terrible happening to a small population but this is everyone mm -hmm. That's a pandemic for you, yeah. It's really quite, yeah, it's, it's it's unprecedented in our lifetime. I'm not sure, when when was the last, what, Spanish flu was the last pandemic? And that was 1920s, so. 1918, wasn't 18, it? 18, yeah, yeah. yeah. I was like, yeah, 1918, but then it was gone by the 20s. That's why they called it the roaring 20s, because it was everyone so, sort I mean, of the, recovering. The chances of anybody in our audience having been <laughs> around for, for Spanish flu yeah. seem slim. So, yes, I would say unprecedented for us. Yeah, we're going to try to tap into that hard to reach, like, 95-plus market. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Keen podcast <laughs> listeners there. But, yeah, so it's um, it's, in, yeah, it's interesting that, that, that you know, we, we're all going through this, like, all different expressions of it, but I, I can't think of anyone who's actually enjoying this. We can't think... Maybe, like, obviously, we're talking all of humanity. There will be some, but we're talking very minor examples of people saying, oh, yes, this is better than my life was before. Can you think of anyone along those lines? I, I, can't, yeah. I can't think specifically of anyone saying it's better, but I would certainly suggest that there are people who, whose lifestyles beforehand and whose personalities sort of lend themselves to the restrictions that have been put on everyone. So yeah, perhaps yeah. people that were very 
very introverted people that didn't really enjoy going out that much, you know, people for whom a night out was actually a big chore rather than something to enjoy. Mm. I'd say for individuals like that, you know, they, they are obviously still dealing with the worry and the concern for their friends and family and protecting themselves, but the actual impact on their daily lives is not so great. Yeah, and I've heard people like uh, say like they've had struggles, but their partner has been almost like born for this time. Like they've always liked baking at home and like, mm. their homebodies and gardening and stuff. These are all things you can do at home, and then you're sort of set. You know, it's mm. almost like accidentally becoming one of those people who preps for the zombie apocalypse, and when it finally comes, like yes, <laughs> I knew it. Yes, exactly. <laughs> In, except uh, yeah. instead of like a bug out bag and water supplies, it's just yeah. endless bread baking and jigsaws yeah. and fresh tomatoes which is nice you know there are, there are worse things to it well like i was gonna bring that up because um i was leading something but okay we mentioned my stress and stuff but obviously you you've had a more general uh impact of um on your mental health of the pandemic because you're i think you're quite openly uh, self-proclaimed extrovert aren't you you are quite yes uh, yeah you embrace the label i think that there are there are a lot of jokes on there and, and memes and things on the internet um, sort of like creating these divisions between introverts and extroverts. Um, but it's it's been interesting for me to see how the pandemic has affected people that are very, like myself, like naturally extroverted. Like you, you know, I work from home, um, so that's been fine. That's not been a big shift for me. However, I live by myself. And so for me... Um, I relax or I, I create a distinction between work time and free time by going out and seeing friends and doing stuff, you know, whether that's mm. just like going to the pub or I've got a few hobbies like I do uh, pottery or like just hanging out with friends in the park or whatever, anything, just other people. And so for me, the consequences have been that <clears throat> my support, I don't want to say support network because obviously technology exists and I still feel very supported. You know, hmm. I don't feel disconnected. But my distinction between work and my own time is gone completely. And the way that I recharge my batteries, you know, by, by getting out and seeing people is gone completely. And so I have struggled, because I have underlying depression and anxiety, I have really struggled with all of my days just <laughs> yeah. kind of blurring into this one constant grey blob. And I suspect that my experience there is probably quite common. For, mm. I think that probably a lot of people listening to this right now will be able to relate to that. Totally, yeah. And it's really quite... Well, I, I mentioned this interview the other day, and it's really quite... It's really important, I think, and something which... I think most people don't really appreciate in that, you know, there's all the common refrain of, you know, people aren't obeying the rules, they're going out, it's disgraceful. Mm. And we, it, that's that comes back to the collective trauma thing, like people are reacting in different ways to things. But the, the fact is, obviously, it's an incredibly stressful situation to have a literal killer virus just circulating in our community everywhere. You can't go anywhere and do anything. And, you know, it's, it's dangerous to go outside now in many ways. And... All our expectations and norms are upended. But you know, life was stressful beforehand anyway, in other ways, you know, unless you had a very charmed life, in which case, bollocks to you, because you know, yeah, <laughs> this isn't for you. Welcome to the real world. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but you know, we, we always had coping mechanisms or like ways to take the edge off. You know, we used, people relax and de-stress by 
going out and meeting people, by going to the cinema, by taking up a sport, by going to the gym, by exercising, and all these things have been taken away, mm. rightly, because, you know, that's how you control a you know, easily contagious virus. But that's still, that's, that's an extra stress, you know. It's not just the fact that there's more to be stressed about. It's just that there was already stresses which have been amplified, like with your homeschooling and the financial prospects and stuff, and mm. all the things you'd normally do, whether you're an introvert or extrovert, to reduce that stress are being denied to you now. You know, unless you, you, know, you have to make do with Zoom quizzes and online chats, which are nice, but they're not quite the real thing, are they? They don't, they don't scratch that itch completely. So no. you know, not only are we all like, getting more stress, we're also being denied the means to reduce that stress. So you know, it, it's a sort of it's a two-pronged attack on our general well-being. Mm. Yes, absolutely. And I think that's probably one of the reasons why there are so many reports about increasing drinking at home. You know, mm. I, I, I certainly drink more now, um, whereas previously, you know, I, I used to sort of keep my boozing for the weekend or when I go out. Now it's like, oh, I'll have a, have a couple of glasses of wine every evening just because it's something to do, absolutely, you know, yeah. takes the edge off everything. Well, I, was, I, I did exactly that for most of last year. And I was getting, I, as I'm doing dry January right now, I haven't touched a drop this year yet. And it, it hasn't been particularly challenging, not because I don't like drinking. I do. I will again. Don't get me wrong. But um, I sort of got the point where I felt like I think I'm drunk enough now. And for me, because obviously I lost my father, then my grandfather, I had no recourse, no way to, you know, I couldn't meet people and commiserate. I couldn't be helped by anyone else. I still had, you know, still do, I still do the kids, still do the work because I'm family's breadwinner and I'm a parent, you know, my wife is suddenly alone <laughs> in the world as well without any other support. So I had to do all that and just like just a drink to help, just to, like I say, take the edge off. And yes, so I got the point I was, I was doing like you, drinking two, three glasses of wine, maybe a bottle a night at some point. And I felt like, yeah, I can quit anytime. But then I got the point where I think I can quit rather than I'm sure I can quit. And that, that ambiguity is enough for me to sort of write, stop for a bit and I have. So I wasn't far gone or anything, but it's still like, you know, it's, it's, we're talking alcohol you know drugs and stuff these are slippery slopes so yeah these are other things to be concerned about mm. yes absolutely um actually and you, you mentioned your father again so mm. i'm quite keen to explore this idea of trauma within collective trauma okay so okay. at the start of a, the pandemic um some friends and i we lost a friend to bowel cancer very early he was very young like my age mm. and this was back in March, beginning of April, and I remember watching the funeral on Zoom, which was an absolutely baffling experience. Yeah. And I remember people messaging around with each other, sort of saying, it's okay, you know, once this is all over, we'll have a wake and we can remember him properly. And we were thinking, oh, summer maybe, or yeah. October. Yeah. <laughs> And no, no one in the, in, in the world would have thought, okay, nearly a year later, we're still doing this. Um, but we mentioned my experience of lockdown is that, okay, I can't go to the pub and it's putting a bit of pressure on my mental health and that is that sucks, you know? <laughs> There's no two ways about it, it sucks. And a lot of people are dealing with that. However, there are people that are dealing with that and, like you said, you know, dealing with grief, immediate grief from losing a loved one. So not only are you dealing with the wider collective trauma of this, but your own specific individual trauma of having lost your father. 
do you think that that creates some kind of imbalance between facets of society and that there are people that are like, oh God, lockdown's such a drag. Um, and maybe a lot of those, a lot of them are the people that are like, mm, maybe I'll just bend the rules a little bit or I'll just go and you know, do things I know I shouldn't because mm, there's no real consequence or I'm not aware of any real consequence. And then on the flip side, there are individuals like yourself that are acutely aware of the consequences of this. So do you think that that can create divisions then in society, even though we're all going through the same thing? Yeah, totally. I mean, I think we're seeing it right now. Um, everyone sort of talks about the early days of the lockdown when there was all this solidarity. We were like clapping mm. for NHS workers on every Thursday night, even though, you know, don't want to pay them or anything, but we are going to clap for them. And yeah, we'll you know, pay I, them in applause. Yeah, I, I was a very, I was an early sort of a voice of doubt mm. <laughs> on that point. But I am, um, uh, but yeah, so like that happened. No, with all the rainbow trails and stuff, and people doing all their quizzes and so on. And it was, it was nice. You know, it, I'm not saying it was a bad thing, but it was genuinely very. Um, you know, there was a solidarity. There was like the, mm. the whole blitz spirit stuff, and like not that uh, that's particularly relevant you know it's not a valid comparison but it's still a thing so as time wore on that sort of became more frayed you know in this country was the Dominic Cummins debacle which sort of people mm. always point to saying well if you're not going to do it then why should anyone else do it it doesn't take many to you know even if 0.1% of the population think that that's still hundreds of thousands of people in this country so that's enough to easily keep a pandemic going and then yeah so <clears throat> there are people who will have said, no, well, this is massive inconvenience for me. I'm reasonably young, I'm reasonably healthy. I don't think there's any particular, you know, issue with a risk to me. I'll have a bad cold for a few days. And you know, maybe they're right. Maybe if they did catch it, they'll have, you know, just a couple of days in bed and then just get up and carry on as they were before. But I think it's like everyone's affected differently. And that will have um impacts because society as big as ours, you got it's really hard to have any sort of cohesion. You know, we've seen that in the political sphere the last several years and stuff and and i think there's also an element of you know, one-upmanship like humans are very hierarchical so this is going to sound terrible but there are plenty of people who sort of identify themselves via their suffering as in yes i've gone through this i have you know this is this is me this is my story mm. and well, more power to them if that's how they own it that's how they cope with it fair enough but you know when that becomes uh, a part of who you are i mean there's lots of comedians who will talk about their mental health problems as well, I don't want to say as a hook, but you know, it's it's part of their persona, so they can't afford to then sort of acknowledge someone else's in a worse state. And we we have the, you know it happens online now the whole the whole privilege argument in that you know if you say to someone you're privileged and they well no, I'm I'm working class I've never had a penny to my name how dare you and then that it's not you know it's not about their personal circumstance it's about the wider context but that will happen here too is in like I <clears throat> encountered serious grief and trauma from the losses I experienced but I was like I wanted to you know I was happy to talk about that I think it's good to talk about these things but then you know a few months later or even a few weeks the the Black Lives Matter protest kicked off and everyone was online espousing like you know we it's time to stop racial inequality and it's all this horrific murder of black people and right you know that's a very correct valid stance to take but then I felt like oh well if I keep talking about my problems now then I'm Whiny McWhinerson, classic white guy type thing, and I thought, oh, I better keep quiet for a bit then, which was hard, but I had to do it. I don't think I didn't see any way around that, but um, yeah. So there will be, you know, it's it's too complex a situation to have this cohesion, 
And I think when you we discussed it before, and you mentioned the whole nine eleven and Princess Diana thing, and like you say, those are those are points when everyone sort of not everyone, but the majority of people all went, "Oh, that's terrible. Let's all unify in that sort of sentiment." But like I say, they were one offs. They were like the events that happened. Well, it was a yeah. short, sharp shock, wasn't it? And really, yeah. for the majority of the planet, you know, most people on Earth didn't know Princess Diana, and and most people on Earth didn't know anybody that was killed in nine eleven. And so globally, we could all turn and gawp and go, oh, my God, this is terrible, and hmm. talk about it. But then it, because we were all at the same level of arm's length with the event, we could all sort of move on together and come out of it together. But with COVID, it's just so drawn on and everybody's experiencing their own pockets of acute grief or bereavement or loss in, in whatever shape or form it takes. That yes, the solidarity that we saw at the very beginning, when it was all like gung ho, has waned, and now I think that people are just getting angry, and that yeah. anger is being directed either at the government or at people that are breaking the rules, or you know, at, at just like some non-entity about the injustice of it all. And I think that's where we're at the point now, where our collective trauma is causing us to really fracture as a society. Yeah, totally. And actually, we're going to see how that pans out in the long term. I mean, I think we are in a whole new world now, technically. And I don't think there's any going back to the status no. quo pre-COVID. I mean, too much has changed now. And you can argue it's for the better. I mean, I, when I said earlier about, um, can you think of anyone who's living a better life now? I mean, there are some people who will say, well, like, you have to go make a horrible commute anymore, but now I can work from home and they have to they have to accept it. And I've heard some you know, people with disabilities saying that, as in, finally, they acknowledge that working from home is a valid way to contribute mm. to now my job is easier and there is some data that people with sort of more chronic anxiety and depression you'd expect them to feel a lot worse in this context but there's some data that suggest they're actually sort of plateaued or feeling better in terms of symptoms reported because if you're a body down to its bare essence some people point to say that depression is the constant feeling that the very worst has happened mm. and anxiety is the constant feeling that the worst is going to happen and when you live in a pandemic, both of those are correct, as in, you know, as in, yes, the worst has happened. And also, yeah, I was right to be worried. Mm. So there's a sort of, again, the shared trauma might be sort of validating in a way for some people. Is that, yeah. Well, I, that's, yeah. that's exactly the point I was about to make is that a lot of people I know have said that they feel a bit better about their work situation, not so much because they're working remotely or whatever, but because there is still this sense of, well, we're all in this together and nobody can be expected to be at the top of their game right now. So that sort of takes the pressure off a bit. Yeah, they're like there are fringe benefits to this sort of thing. I mean, if you're performers, comedians, people like who are normally like they are, they're not this, this level, like they're a mid-level comedian or a mid-level you know, singer or something, but because everyone's doing the same online Zoom things, they're getting a gig with people who are sort of technically much higher, you know, much higher up than them, but far more famous. But, you know, everyone's got the same options now so there can be a, an enhanced level of solidarity and that yep yeah, you know we've all been through this now and that after the pandemic that might become a thing as in yeah remember that yeah that was horrible wasn't it? how did you manage how did you cope everyone's got a sort of common talking point now because you know, the british have had the weather for 700 years <laughs> well we've had that we've had the weather since the planet was existing but you know we're, we've had it as a conversation topic um People like mock the British for that, but I think it's because we have so much of it. You know, we have lots of different variations, and it's different day in day out. Um, but yeah, so like it'll give us, oh yeah, how did you manage during the pandemic? Like that, you know, there's a talking point, and I, I think we will see some 
greater unity, greater empathy going forward. Well, I mean, no ultimately, yeah. people just want to belong, don't they? You know, and there is mm. this like tribal mentality to all aspects of existence. So, yes, I think whilst whilst maybe society is becoming a little bit more fractured now, um, as you rightly say, in the after times, you know, we'll all look back and swap our war stories and and discuss and where were you and how did you cope and this and that because it is it'll be like a bonding exercise in a well, yes, in hoping, a, yeah. in sense, you know. Yeah, but again, I think the, the, the darker side of that is that people who are, you know, we, we like to bond with other people, we like to form a group and form a tribe, but mm. you can't really have a tribe with the rest of humanity. So people have, you know, you find ones you're, you're more related to. And I think there are people who have gone through the COVID stuff and are going through it now. And they, you know, they've been impacted by it. Obviously, it's been negative for them. But they've, you know, they can't say like, oh, I lost anyone or I felt ill. So anyway, I think if it, in a hierarchy of who's been hardest hit, you'll get the people go, oh, I, I can't even complain. Like I said about the whole, you know, you know your place, know your moment. Mm. And I imagine maybe that's where some of the whole COVID denialism comes from. Like, well, I can't join the community of people who say this is all bad and we're all going through hard times because I can't top anyone with my experiences. But if I go and say, actually, it's not that bad at all, then you, you've got that community of COVID deniers and people who are like skeptical about the whole thing. And then you feel validated then by saying, it's not even that bad. And then people like you and approve of you. And you get that's where you get conspiracy theories and communities who endorse that because mm. a lot of it comes down to wanting validation, wanting to be respected, wanting to be looked up to, wanting a sense of control, of superiority, or conspiracy theories and their networks, they provide all that, a sense of belonging, a sense of, you know, a sense of sort of power, a sense to be able to say, I'm better than them because I know the truth and they don't. And these are all really tempting things, especially when you, know, you haven't got much else going on. You haven't got any anywhere to go. You have to stay indoors. Your life isn't your own anymore. So I, I, I'm not surprised we're seeing a sort of, uptick in conspiracy thinking i mean when it started off there was all the whole 5g networks fault wasn't it but um oh, i think people yes. have moved on since then the more well, back back in the good old tiger king days that was yeah, that's it? right yeah tiger king era um yeah. but you may i mean you make an interesting point there about this idea of i mean i i don't want to say competition but obviously I think about my own position. Yes, it's a real bummer. I can't go to the pub, but I've not really been directly impacted in that I've hmm. not fallen ill and I've not lost anybody close to me. Um, however, I know there will be a lot of people listening to this thinking, yeah, that's me too. But that doesn't mean that the experience of the of this last year is, a, is not valid. Mm, you know? Totally, yeah. And I think maybe that is another part Another issue in the divisiveness that society might be seeing now is that there are other people who have suffered terribly, and they're people that have just kind of not so much, you know. Um, and I can imagine, I mean, you yourself said, like, you lost your father and you felt like you couldn't keep discussing it because of everything else that was happening in the world. I mean, I mean, real talk, is there any element of resentment there that you feel like you didn't get the proper chance to grieve because everything, you know, it got overshadowed? Uh, yeah, yeah, I'll say there was. Um, you know, just, uh, we, we have a lot of friends in common. We have a, some a friend circle and people who were asking me, you know, are you okay today and stuff like that, just checking in, they, they, they stopped uh, because there were more pressing social matters to attend to. And I guess the, the resentment comes from the fact that I had no... <laughs> I had no response to that. I had no sort of counter argument. Is ah, you mm. should ignore that because 
mm. like relatively well-off, successful white guy wants to wants to moan at you, and that's not really an argument I can I can present with any sort of seriousness or any you know any conviction on my part because that's not that's not how I how I think. You know, I'm, mm. there are plenty of guys like me in the world, like the reasonably well-known straight white male with a media platform who will just whine about their own problems constantly as if they're the most important thing in the world and i would really rather not become one of those people no. and that's i mean the, I, I suppose I, I ask it from a more general point of view like that maybe not just in your position as like being a, a reasonably well-known um media guy but just as just as a, a regular human being who lost somebody close to them as a result of this pandemic because there will be a lot of people that will have lost loved ones listening to this Perhaps they feel the same way, you know, like they felt like they couldn't they couldn't keep talking about it because, well, you know, so many other people have lost loved ones or this is just how things are now or so on and so forth. Totally. Yeah. And that's oh, and there will be plenty of people out there like that. And, you know, I, I guess it's all correct in that. Yeah. You know, my problems are my problems and other people's problems are their, their problems. And a problem shared is a problem halved and all those other words. But you know that's another that's another downside of the collective thing. When we're all experiencing very similar things, it's very hard to decide when when's my turn to say something. Where's my share of the sympathy? Where's my share of the the support? Yes. And that's you know that's a big deal. I mean, there's no there's no answer to that. You know, the people you know are the ones you know, and the people who will support you are the ones who support you. And you don't know what they're going through. You don't know what you're entitled to, what you what, what you can realistically expect of them mm. because everyone's going through the same thing. So I guess there will be sort of, maybe not even conscious, but subconscious resentment as in, oh, I used to be able to speak to you, but now I can't because you've got stuff to deal with too. And But that's a totally, that's a totally legit stance to say, I, I, I can't help you right now. I'm going through horrific stuff of my own. Mm. But um, anyway, I think a lot of that comes up with mental health problems in that, when you've got when you're going through a mental health problem of any sort, you need support from others more than anything. And but then when you're going through a mental health problem, that's when you can just when you're, you're almost like often when you're least able to offer any sort of you know reward or social norms for that support. If someone, if you've got like a broken leg, you're in hospital. People bring you things. Say, oh, thanks, really appreciate this. You can, you know, there's, an, there's there's a give and take. There's an expectation to it. There's a there's you know, there's social conventions, and you can't do that when you're in the grips of depression or like strung out on anxiety. Mm. So the people who will help you and want to look after you, they don't, it's harder to do so because they don't get the, the reinforcement that this normally involves. And you know, I think everyone's going through a bit of that right now as in, yes, I've got problems. Yes, I've got troubles, but so does everyone else. So I, I can't tell anyone. I can't complain unless it's a two way thing. And I don't have the, you know, if, if you've got a lot of crap going on, you don't necessarily have the, just, just, just the resources to burden anyone else's too, and yeah. Mm. So it, it's really upending the sort of the, the social norms aspect of it as well. That you, you, you should be able to speak to people. That is the best thing to do to sort of share your emotions, share your feelings, and just talk through things. But you know, you need at least one person who is willing to do that and willing to be like the the lodestone for it. And it's really hard to see who that is at the moment. Mm. Yes, absolutely. But then. On the flip side, I suppose there are opportunities and there are pockets for good to come out of this collective trauma. Um, you know, I think people, perhaps at, at the beginning, maybe even up to a few months ago, you know, people were very gung-ho, like, okay, it's fine, let's just, just push on. 
And I think it was only sort of relatively recently that people have been a little bit more uh, vocal about the fact that, hey, you know, I'm struggling. Or, like, I'm really just, I've really just had a fucking gut full of it now, or, or whatever, you know. Um, and you can see that there are, there are always people there, there are always helpers out there. And you can see in the number of um, groups online, for example, that have popped up, support groups, or mutual aid groups, or uh, our friend uh, Liam, who started the Kindness Project, mm. for example, um, okay. to yeah. help um, families that were struggling over Christmas. And people, I think, people want to help. People want to help other people, but at this moment in time, they maybe just don't know how because everybody's experiences are so different. You know, some people like yourself are dealing with grief. Some people like myself are just down in the dumps because I don't get to see another human <laughs> person from one day to the next, you know. And it's very difficult to know if you want to help, like how to help others, what they need, what's going on with them. And also, of course, people will have different attitudes to all of this, to this whole pandemic. You know, some people will have a very sort of like silver lining. Okay, well, what will be Kesara Sara approach to it? And other people, you know, will really think this is like the end of days, and that's fair <laughs> enough. So I see, I can see how people want to help, but maybe they're just not sure how. And Absolutely, that in itself yeah. kind of goes into the whole collective trauma of like feeling powerless i suppose that's also like that, yes definitely and that works from both directions in that <clears throat> i experienced this as in like you said it a lot of lots of friends said it you know just let me know if i can do anything to help mm. and i've never doubted that sentiment was completely genuine and 100 well meant but it's kind of it's not so much it's not easy to do that in that you know i'm not the person who gets helped normally i'm the guy who helps other people out because I'm in a position to do so and I'm happy to do that and I feel good about doing that mm. so to me to turn and say actually I need you you and you to fix my problems for me or to at least mitigate them or to help in some way that was almost like surrendering even more control and because mm. I was in a situation where like I just lost my father which is like complete you know a pillar has been kicked out from under my life I can't do anything about that I cannot see my family I cannot see close friends I can't grieve properly I have lost so much control of my own life now to ask for help even if you know I genuinely needed it that was you know it felt like surrendering more control again making yourself even more vulnerable yeah, yeah. like I'm vulnerable I've, I've lost enough now like, at least let me have you know the sense of autonomy that comes from being able to do things yourself and I think that's a big part of why a lot of people men in particular struggle with that and that yes you need help, definitely, and it'd be great to have it, and you can ask for it, but doing so isn't cheap. It's not a free thing. It's not. It's not a straightforward, passive process. It is. It involves sacrifice. Being able to say, "Can I have help, please?" Because I can't do this, and I mm. I have to surrender this important aspect of my life to you, who you know I may love and respect you everything through and through, but you're not me, and that's that's a big hurdle to to get over. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And of course, all of the normal mechanisms that people use to show that they're there and that they're offering support without overtly going, I am giving you support, such as popping over for a cup of tea, going out to the pub, you know, that sort of thing, obviously are no more. Yeah, that was a big now, part of it hopefully. too. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I got the point when I started becoming quite angry at responses. I was in obviously a very emotionally <laughs> disturbed place anyway. 
Mm. But you know, people who yes, I mean, say, oh, I wish there was something I'd do to help. And my, my, internally, I never said it, my response was, yeah, but you know there isn't. You know full well that we're in a pandemic, you live 200 miles away, there's nothing you can do. So you you saying this just makes you feel better. Why don't you go fuck mm. yourself? And like that was, <laughs> again, it was a cathartic thought to have. <laughs> I never meant it genuinely. Well, no, I mean, of course. I thought it, but I never said it to anyone because that's just ridiculous. But it, you know, it was a thought that I had a lot. And that's, you know, you know we're dealing with a very un, it's uncharted waters for me to think in these terms about people who are trying to help. Yes. But that's that's it again, isn't it? Like I said about how this the pandemic has really spurred up a lot of feelings in people in terms of like, anger, you know, uh, anger at their own personal circumstances, anger at the fact that they can't get the help they need or give the help they want to give. Um, and I think it's maybe sort of made people a lot more aware of just what they sort of need on a daily basis, mm. you know. And I mean, I, I don't mean necessarily like like material stuff, but just what they need from other people and from their relationships. Mm. That's really, I think that's really correct. And also I think it'd be really important. I think over the next few years, that'll become, hopefully, that'll become more of a sort of a central thing as in, I went through that. We all went through that. And now I know better how to maintain my well-being, my mental health mm. and stuff, because I know what happens when I don't get this and I don't like it. And, you know, like, I think, like I said, like the whole Roaring Twenties thing, that was a lot of people I've read, read about historians say that that was a response to the pandemic, as in we can go out again, we can see people again. This is amazing. Let's, you know, let's not take it for granted. I know, you know, eight decades we started to. But, um, yeah, so like we, we probably, hopefully, we'll see that again. But, you know, it's, we're just a lot more aware now. We're a lot more interconnected. So we know everyone's gone through the ringer. Well, not everyone, but most people have gone through the ringer. And um, maybe we'll have some sort of better unity for it. Can't promise well, that. But um, That's yeah. what you said at the beginning of this episode, wasn't it? Is that there are some silver linings to be found. And I think that as as bleak and depressing as things are right now and have been, I think it's important that we try to focus on them because this isn't going to last forever. No, no, it can't. They, they all spill out eventually just because, you know, <laughs> because they have to. It's just like all entropy or physics. But um, yeah, no, so this is not a, I think that's one thing I, that keeps me going. Is like this is not, uh, you know, uh, uh, this cannot be a perpetual state. And hopefully, you know, once we get to the end, cool. <laughs> well, yes. And, and really, it means that we'll have something else to talk about beyond the weather. <laughs> yes, there's that. <laughs> All right, Dean. Well, I think that I think that wraps up this episode for right, this week. Uh, it's been a joy to talk to you as always. You too. You too. I will. I'll speak to you soon. Yes, not in two years' time. Very soon. No. <laughs> oh God. Well, you've jinxed it now. Oh, oh yes. Actually, just as a reminder to uh, our listeners, if you are listening and you have a question for us or you'd like to put forward a topic for us to for us to discuss, um, we are back active on our social platforms let me just pull it up because i have already forgotten <laughs> it has been two years i think i'll forgive you for that ah oh, yeah okay so our twitter handle is at brain yapping pod um, hey. you'll see that we've got a snazzy new logo now to reflect uh well <laughs> to reflect the new take yeah. on on our, <laughs> on this series um and our email is oh gosh Brain yapping pod 
at gmail.com, I believe. Oh, no, this is very bad. Hang on, let me check. I'll just have a look here. For the record, um, I am not editing this out. <laughs> no, that's I like cool. This. I like seeing the whole behind the scenes stuff. Behind the scenes. Yeah, brilliant. Um, uh, uh, no, you're going to have you're going to have to edit this. This is just me. Just <laughs> I'll throw it at the end. Don't worry myself. about it. <laughs> cool. OK, I will uh, speak to you next time. Indeed. Bye, Bye everybody. So here is the outro with the relevant information as promised. If you want to ask us anything mental health related or would like to suggest a topic for Rachel and I to discuss or even just leave feedback or some description, you can contact us via Twitter at BrainYappinPod, you can email us at BrainYappinPodcast at gmail.com or use the form on my site at DeanBurnett.com. Like with most podcasts, positive reviews and ratings are always helpful, so if you are inclined to leave us such a thing on the podcast provider of your choice, that would be appreciated. Uh, this podcast was launched to coincide with the publication of my new book, Psychological, uh, Why Your Mental Health Goes Wrong and What You Can Do About It, uh, or sort of the subtitle, all about mental health and what's actually happening in our brains when we experience problems with it. Available now at all good book retailers and some of the less salubrious ones too, not fussy. As ever, Brain Yapping Battle Damaged is part of the Cosmic Shambles Network. For more curiously entertaining podcasts, live streams and live events, blogs and documentaries, head to CosmicShambles.com. To support the network, particularly during these times, and get access to lots of exclusive content, subscribe at patreon.com forward slash cosmic shambles. See you next time.